When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hello everyone, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but my grocery order was delivered yesterday and there was vodka in it, obviously. And so the man who delivered it asked me for ID. Uh, it took me just a nanosecond too long to realise that he was joking. <laughs> Is that because you're so obedient? You're just thinking, oh God, I've got to find one more thing rather than just like... Yes, exactly. He thinks I'm 17. Let me just find my, you know, brand new driver's license. Oh God. I think he thought he was being charming. Little did he know. Little did he know that he just like completely threw you through a loop. Well, speaking of being thrown through a loop, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but we've got a new recycling regime in our area, which is enough to make anyone go completely mad. And I lay in bed at 2am last night worrying about whether or not I should go and put the new recycling bag outside. And I obviously just didn't go downstairs and put it outside. I just lay there worrying about it in a worry loop with kind of worry paralysis, like a maniac. But also, given that there is so much to worry about in the world, it seems doubly pathetic that what was worrying me was paper and card disposal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh. Anyway, if you're anything like us, you might find yourself shouting at the Today programme, slamming your laptop shut after reading the Sunday papers, cursing wildly at how insane the news cycle is currently. The politics, the fuckery, the backstabbings and the actual stabbings. Or you might have buried your head in the sand trying to escape the madness. Well, our next guest is at the front line of the news. He has to watch everything, listen to everything, talk about everything and try not to shout or lose his mind. Now, we are not sure how he does it. Hugo Rifkind, writer, broadcaster and all-round good egg is back to tell us what the hell is going on. Is everything madder than usual? But before you answer that question, Hugo, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, Emily. And Annabelle, thanks for asking. Although I'm currently obsessed with thermostats, right? <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm in the process of trying to digitise my house's entire radiator situation so I can control every single the temperature of every single radiator from my phone. It's the most middle-aged dad thing I've ever done. And if I can pull this off, I have, you know, I've 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 done radio shows and TV shows. I've written novels. If I can sort out the the heating system in this house, it will be by far and away the most satisfying thing I've ever done and maybe I will throw it all in and just become a gas engineer. Are maybe. the odds looking good? They're looking all right. We've got a slight issue with the hall. Uh, you know, and um, and and, and how, how the Wi-Fi stretches, and and once I've done all this, that then necessitates the big family meeting in which I have to explain how it works to everybody else, and I can already feel the preemptive disdain that's going to generate. <laughs> Basically, what 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 worries me mainly is what happens if I die. If I die, no one in this house will ever turn on a radiator again. They are the freeze or boil to death, depending exactly, on the time of year. Exactly. Are you going to share the power, or is it just going to be you puppeteering? from your attic office. I will try very hard to share the power. I think no one wants the power. I think what people want to do is bitch about me having the power. <laughs> I think that, that, that's the strategy the rest of my family is going to deploy. Yes, I can see how that will be attractive. Will you also have a kind of visual system so that you can say, 
I know you're not wearing a jumper. Oh yes. <laughs> which is why I've set the uh, set the temperature to to lower so you can put the jumper on. Yes, no, it, it it's it's a real it's a real blessing for coercive control. I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend otherwise. It's like I can see you came home and th- turned the temperature up to twenty-two degrees when it should only be on nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hugo, well, we've asked you about, you know, really the maddest things that have happened um, this term. And uh, we're only four weeks in. I mm. mean, it's been pulsating. Would you say that this is madder than ever, 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 ever before? Or is that just us feeling madder than ever before? It's very hard to tell because the norm, the norm is quite mad now, right? I mean, it's not, it's not as frenetic as it was. It's just this sort of low-level, quite bleak, grinding madness. Yes, and people are sort of like mad by rote. It's just what they do. There's, there's like there's, there's almost no political pronouncements that aren't a bit mad. So you you almost don't notice. I've certainly felt madder. I feel sort of more, more kind of tired now. I think. I mean, I wonder if sanity could even break through at this point. Well, it's just very hard to figure out what what anybody's doing and why. What the conservative strategy is to sort of establish themselves beyond uh, up to the next election, whether it's based on anything other than just sort of whim and shits and giggles, or whether there's a real strategy there. And if there is, then what the hell it is. Yes. I mean, is it possible that there is a real strategy there? I don't know. It's like, so I've been watching the Conservative Party conference this week. I'm not there. I thought about going there. But on the other hand, I'd rather eat my own eyes. So I didn't. Um, (laughs) I've been to so many conferences over the years, I didn't need to go to this one. So I didn't. It's kind of like, Someone said to them, you know what Britain really likes? Britain really likes when you're like batshit crazy and say mad (laughs) stuff about everything. And they're like, okay, can do. And you're kind of like, where are you getting this from? What makes you think? I mean, maybe they're right, you know, they've been right before. But it's very hard to see where it's all coming from. Should I I tell you some highlights of what's been going on lately? Would that be helpful? Yes, please. Absolutely. So... My absolute favourite story from the party conference that's been happening so far, again, I haven't been there, I've only been enjoying it remotely, is Suella Braverman stood on a dog. Did you see this? <laughs> yes, a heel yeah. on a tail. She used to put a heel on the tail of a guide dog. It did not react. A guide dog? I didn't know it Good was dog. a guide dog. I guess she didn't. I mean, she, she doesn't seem to. You, you never can never be sure. She doesn't seem to have done it on purpose. Although, I know, but that's know. just not any dog, is it? It's like the best dog ever. Well, she's she's not a woman to trust with your Dalmatians. So I think maybe you know she kind of maybe maybe it was deliberate. Who knows? She's now issued an apology, and I quote to that dog and all dogs out there. So so all dog. If for any dogs that are listening, Suella Braverman is sorry, uh, which I think is. It is important. It's taking the kind of dog whistle politics exactly. really way too far, isn't it? It's like if people are objecting to kind of, you know, I don't know, guide dogs roaming, they'll be happy that the Conservatives are sorting it out, right? Well, the, the, the dogs will be thinking, well, she's apologising because she keeps whistling at us and she doesn't, in fact, have meat. But no, that's not it. She's only sorry because she stood on one particular dog. I mean, she's having a very strange time, Suella Braverman. She's kind of at the heart of what the hell is going on with the Conservatives. And I... Yeah. Either she's very clever and we're all very stupid or the opposite is true. (laughs) Do you think that if they get rid of Rishi after the next election, she will be the new leader? I think it's possible because only bad things happen. But I also think it's more likely that Kemi Badenoch will be the leader. Didn't she say yesterday, please stop talking about leadership, which is a sure sign that she's going to campaign to be the next leader. Who Kemi did or Suella did? Kemi did. Yes, but I mean, she's, you know, she's very much gearing up and she's quite sly and she's positioning herself in quite a good sort of indignant, indignant way. She's got the problem that Rishi Sunak's got, 
which is that she hates everybody i think <laughs> you know you can see it you know there's there's this kind of like every question she's asked she's kind of like oh for fuck's sake you know it's like constantly and, um, keegan's got that too actually they've all got a touch of the oh for fuck's sake haven't they why doesn't anybody just say that we're great whilst yeah, also it, saying mad shit like real real petulance and annoyance that their crap is not just put up with i think yes. is what's going on there yeah but i mean look suella bravin like like i said she's at the heart of what they're trying to do because You've kind of got two, it's like you've got two Tory strategies on, you know, social Britain, on multiculturalism running simultaneously, right? One of them is that multiculturalism is sort of lefty and awful and has made Britain a hellhole. And the other is that multiculturalism is inherently conservative and done right leads to hardworking people like them. And you can do either one of these, but they're doing both at once, and it's very confusing. You can make a really good conservative case that going, look, the whole dream of, of, of British multiculturalism from a conservative perspective is summed up in the likes of Rishi Sunak, in Suella Braverman, in Kemi Badenoch. There's a totally respectable conservative position. You know, uh, like uh, immigrants move to Britain, their families thrive, and a generation or perhaps two generations down the line, look, there they are in the cabinet. That's the story of my own family, right? That's yeah. literally the story of my own family. My great-grandparents arrived in Britain speaking Yiddish with no English, kept themselves to themselves for a generation, gradually became more British. My, my father was in the cabinet. That's literally what happened. There's a really strong conservative case that does that. Um, the only problem with the Conservatives making that case is that Suella Braverman keeps saying the absolute opposite. <laughs> but it's so weird, exactly. It's sort of like, it's sort of people like us, people like them, people like who are you talking about? And I think as well, exactly like you said, you know, the idea that they keep trying to have the, it's an aspiration, this is an aspirational country, people want to be like us, whilst also saying it's broken and we're going to fix it by adding maths to the curriculum forever and yes. ever and ever. And whatever. there's the sort of unrecognisable quality about everything they say. Who are you talking about and who are you talking to because I feel like I'm standing on very uneven ground and I don't know how to listen or how to breathe while you're doing all this well I mean aspiration is kind of at the heart of this because it's a very traditional conservative thing to be all over aspiration to say aspiration is the main thing you pull yourself up by your bootstraps etc etc but there's also this streak in the conservative party at the moment that kind of hates aspiration the aspirations for the, like the metropolitan liberal bubble, uh, the aspiration for the people who have had aspiration after they've had aspiration look down on anybody who <laughs> hadn't. And they're trying to sort of appeal to both these bases at once. It's really odd. Although not as odd. Sorry, my second favourite weird thing in the Missouri <laughs> Party Conference. Did you see the video of Pretty Patel and Nigel Farage dancing together? No. I've actually just had a little bit of stick in my mouth, sorry. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's quite it's quite hard to watch for long because the vomit does come from your eyes after a while. Um, but uh, they're dancing to they're dancing to "I Love You, Baby" by Andy Williams. Oh um, my god. In a proper, they're really enjoying themselves. It's like a first dance at the, at the, at the world's worst wedding. Yes, uh, I mean it's uh, it's it, it's worse than that. It's like um. <laughs> It's like you kind of think, wouldn't it be nice if they were on the Titanic and, you know, <laughs> and they're about to strike something. I mean, it's just, um, uh, I don't know. Like, have, have either of you ever been to a Conservative Party conference? No. Are they fun? Weirdly, yes. <laughs> right? Um, but in a sort of, in an obscene sort of, so all the party conferences are different. I've been to all of them lots and lots and lots and lots. The Lib Dem party conference, the activists make a big show of not caring about the MPs or the people, even when they were in the cabinet, the cabinet minister. There's a big thing of everybody's equal. Everybody's the same. You've got some weird dude with a beard and sandals walking down a corridor next to Nick Clegg and they're all the same. Nobody cares. And they're all, and it's kind of, it's not unfun, the Lib Dem party conference, although you do always nurse a strong suspicion they're all swingers, right? Um, <laughs> 
The Labour Party conference is far and away the most boring. It was almost fun for a little bit while Momentum were in Ascendant, because it had that slight sort of weed-smoking hippie edge going on. I once went to a Momentum party with Jeremy Hardy, which was one of the most fun nights of my life. Although there was a ska band plague and they had to stop so Jeremy Corbyn can make a speech about neoliberalism. And I'm just not sure everyone was that into it. But either way, but generally speaking, the Labour Party conference, what happens... I, when I was like when I was a, a young gossip diarist, I'd always go to Labour. I mean, I've been going to Labour for years, but when I started going, I can remember one night. Uh, it was after some party, maybe the New Statesman party, late at night in some hotel bar with a friend, chatting to these two very attractive girls who only wanted to talk about local bus timetables. That's 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 the Labour Party conference. It's no fun. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big, overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash midult. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash midult. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. Um, the Tories, the Tories are a whole different world because the Tory party conference is like the only place the Tories can go where everyone is a Tory. <laughs> where they're not embarrassed about being a Tories, where they don't have to say, well, I'm not really a Tory, where like they're not like the weird Tory in their friend group, because everyone's a Tory. And they're just so I'm relieved. I'm not a young Tory, I'm just young. Yeah, exactly. They're so relieved to be together, so relieved to be normal. In a weird sort of way, although the, the ethics and morals are very different, it's a bit like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish. It's a bit like the first time I went to Israel. You know, it's like the weird thing about me suddenly isn't weird. Everyone's together. Um, and... um. And so when you see the Tories at Tory party conference, they just really go for it. They are not interested in politics at all. They just, they drink and they and they eat expensive food and they say rah quite a lot and they bray. Um, the one, uh, the last one I went to, I think was in, oh, was it Manchester? I think it was in Birmingham or was it Manchester? Oh, I can't remember. One or the other. And there's this bar with a kind of walkway around it in the hotel. And from above at two o'clock in the morning, you can sort of, they're all packed together and you can smell them from above. Just this <laughs> this smell Tory. of piss Tory. Yeah. So it's it's pretty wild, the Tory conference. And if you can sort of park all self-respect, you can have a really good time. I love the idea that they could be their unapologetic selves. And yeah. hence you get the kind of the boogie of the devils with pretty and a nige, right? Just You're dancing. making it sound, Hugo, like a lot of sex happens at the Tory conference. I mean, not with me, but um, it's it's um. I'd imagine it does, but not nice sex. You know, okay. it's it's, a, it's just a weird. I mean, you've got to just try and imagine. You imagine an environment where it's three o'clock in the morning, everybody's drunk but in their best suits, 
Liz Truss walks into a room and everybody cheers. What is Liz Truss doing there? That's a really good question. She is sort of, um, well, what is she doing there? She's the big hit at the conference this time. I know she's drawing the big crowds. And I mean, didn't she sort of break everything? She kind of broke everything. She wants to reestablish her own reputation. She wants people to love her. I think she sees an opportunity in the very, very furthest fringes of the... Cons- the bit of the GB News bit of the Conservative Party. Mm. She's been speaking very nicely about GB News. She said, you know, when she did her... her, I think she was interviewed by a GB News presenter, and she was saying, we need more GB News in this country, which is a bold thing to say the week after the whole sort of Lawrence Fox yes. thing. But I guess she's really going all in on this kind of like, there is an establishment, we're not it, it's to the left of us, we're going to fight it from the right. I think she thinks that she can be Prime Minister again. I wonder, who do you find sort of scarier, Suella or Liz? They're not really that different. I think I think I have to, I think Suella has to be more frightening. I mean, Liz Truss is just straightforward nuts. It's like, Rather it's fine. than venal. Yeah, it's it's fine. She's just like you know, she she's she says weird stuff. She seems to mean it. She exists at this tangent to reality. That's fine. When Suella Braverman says it's my dream to send migrants to Rwanda, and she looks all sort of misty eyed and giggly about yeah, it, that is nerve wracking. There's something going on there that's yeah. pretty pretty fucking weird. I think they're um, obsessed with sending people away. It's extraordinary. Cause did you was... see they were going to imprison people abroad now? Yes, exactly. Like our jail system is full, so we'll just send our criminals <laughs> abroad. Which I, yes, I mean... to a another country as yet yes. unnamed, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Aust- Australia saying absolutely not. <laughs> not I mean, again. I, I guess it's this sort of it's a decent strat. If you... If you're going to do fuck all at home, right, if you're going to talk a lot about immigration while the numbers of immigrants go up and up and up and up and you're going to claim to be the hardest, like, hardest ever party on immigration while immigration hits 600,000 people, then your only real answer is this This is going to be this is going to be solved far away. This is going to be solved on yeah. another planet. We're, going yeah. like, it, it's, it, we're not going to solve this here. We're going to solve it on Mars. So if it looks like we're doing nothing here, that's because you haven't seen the hard work that civil servants are putting in on Mars. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that's kind of the the Rwanda strategy, that they hide behind this idea that lots of stuff is being built and done specifically for migrants in Rwanda. It's not. Uh, no. Last time last time she was in Rwanda, she did this whole thing about, oh, look, here's this big sort of village we're building to house migrants. It was being built anyway. It's a bog-standard Rwandan housing development that they've bunged a bit of money at once it was there already. You know, the whole thing is just is is just sort of bullshit layered upon bullshit layered upon bullshit. And I guess it's bullshit. also, it's a strategy to make everybody go, you can't do that, and then them be able to go, see, we're trying to do something about immigration. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of, you know, is doesn't want to do anything about immigration. And it seems to be like the mad, mad the thing they suggest, the more people object, the more everybody else seems like somehow they're sort of part of the problem. Yes, yeah, they're sort of saying, at least we've got an idea. Yeah. Yeah, and you go way, way out there and anyone who disagrees with it is less committed than you. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that, I mean, you know, Brexit was all about immigration, right? Take yeah. back control was about immigration. And so if you are the party of Brexit, I mean, they, okay, they opposed Brexit when Brexit was happening officially, but most of the people who are now preeminent in the party were, were fans of Brexit, supported Brexit, supported take back control. What they have not done since then is take back control. 
they have done the opposite. You know, they have they have they have made so much noise about immigration while losing control of it to a to a vast, vast, vast degree. So I guess that's why the rhetoric just kind of goes up and up and up and up and up and up because otherwise it's their it's their weakest point. So if Pretty and Nigel are, are dancing, then we can assume that Nigel has been welcomed back into the bosom. Well, so it would say, although I mean, Pretty Patel is not in the bosom of the Conservative Party. Uh, I think, I'm trying to think of Pretty Patel being in Rishi Sunak's bosom. It's a very upsetting image. Um, uh, she's not quite in the bosom because she is. She's the she's the wrong kind of mad. I don't know. Uh, she, she's a, she's she's never forgiven um, Rishi for what he did to Boris. Basically, all the good things about Rishi Sunak she hates. Yes. Um, and she's in danger of emerging as a semi-reasonable person. Nigel Farage, though, is there as a journalist. He's on a press pass. He's there as a as a GB News presenter. Oh. Uh, so he's he's not he's not there because he's been been invited for political reasons. Although apparently he's being treated as a as a superstar. I don't know if you saw uh, Sam Coates at, at Sky, whom I'm a friend of mine, but whom I'm a big fan. He wrote this fascinating piece just the other day about the inroads of your kind of proper conspiratorial QAnon adjacent Trump type stuff that he's noticing at, at the Conservative Party conference. You know, the number of people who really do do believe in the kind of, you know, that, that they are the last bastion against one world government and the World Economic Forum and something that happens at Davos. And that's really a kind of a line that's in there. And that taps very strongly into the Farage agenda. Mm. It does feel Trumpy, doesn't it? I mean, mm. more than ever. But we've been saying that, but it just keeps accelerating. You think it can't go further and it goes further. Yeah, exactly. So they, so they were doing their dancing. And, 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 and what, what else have you spotted? Well... <laughs> I mean, so Rishi Sunak is making his speech the day we're speaking. In fact, perhaps even while we're speaking, I'll, I'll have to watch it afterwards. He, I'm very interested to see what he's going to say. because. So look, there's one way of looking at Rishi Sunak, which is actually he's not doing a terrible job, right? There is a version of Rishi Sunak where he comes in as PM and what his role is is to clear up all the mad shit that happened before. So HS2, which let's talk about HS2 in a minute, but HS2, him cancelling HS2. Now, I think there's 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 pros and cons to cancelling HS2. I'll, I'll allow that, although I'm my general approach is incredulous. But basically, what HS2 is, is like a long line of other things. It's mad expensive shit dreamt up by Boris Johnson or Boris Johnson-adjacent people. It predates him a bit because it was the Cameron regime, but still, mad promises made by decadent Tories that they threw way down the line for somebody else to clear up and worry about later. This has happened in a lot of cases, a lot of what Rishi Sunak has had to deal with. HS2, the Northern Ireland Protocol, Brexit generally, clearing up the economy after COVID, everything really is all other people made huge promises, the buck stops, stops with him, there's an election coming, he's kind of doing his best. All that I have some respect for, even if I would rather somebody else did their best. Nonetheless, I can sort of I can understand where he's coming from. But then he sort of seems compelled to on top of that in order to keep up with everybody else to also do all this mad shit yeah right so like two weeks ago he was talking about meat taxes <laughs> right that why we will not allow meat taxes you're like sorry meat meat like who who said meat no one said meat taxes you're not you can't just you can't just make up a thing that you're not going to do that no one else has wanted to do he's not going to allow seven bins you know he, and he just he seems to feel there's this strong constituency out there in britain who's really really worried about meat taxes and it's like, where are you getting this shit? I'm definitely worried about the bins. So the bins. <laughs> no, I'm how many bi- how many bins have you got? No, not seven. It's the maddest thing. I completely agree. Yeah, like four. And um, and 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 again, if there were seven bins, you'd be like, well, I mean, that's a hassle. Seven bins, but. Is it as much of a hassle as the cost of living crisis? Is no, it as much it of a hassle as the threat of nuclear annihilation from Russia? Is seven bins really the thing that no. we're going to all rally around against? No, no. I, no, I don't think yeah. so. It, yeah, but I right. think that he likes, he perhaps is trying to focus the Tory sense of unnamed threat 
that they feel all the time and just give it different focus points, whether it's immigration or bins or that, you know, I vow to stop the war on motorists. Yeah, well, he wants to find things that people who work in the media, who often are sort of, you know, urban liberals because they work in the media, things that they will object to so he can say, I'm not like them, I'm not one of them, I may be a, you know... Billionaire who lives in central London, but I'm not like them. But so he had his bins, he had his meat tax. The one that really baffles me, he's also very anti insulation, right? Insulation is woke now. Insulating really? your house is woke. Yeah, he's because he, he keeps saying the things he was going to spare us from were the seven bins, with the meat taxes, and compulsory, compulsory insulation. And you're like, insulation? It's like I can understand. You might say, okay, look, you've got one view if you're living in the metropolitan bubble about immigration but insulation you know you can be a working you can be a working class voter in bradford and insulation is still good for you it is not woke to want to live in a warm house that is insulated where you don't need to turn the heating on so much really weird i mean obviously we know that you've got skin in this game uh, ah yes the insulation mm. game. Yep. Uh, Hugo, but yes i completely agree it feels like it's sort of like it's it was like the announcement about um the 20 mile per hour limits. And you just think, but nobody really fundamentally disagrees that we should keep our children safe and stop accidents. Like what the hell is, what, what, why focus on that? It's the big state, Emily. It's, it's, it's crushing. Well, it's why well, he keeps saying it's a blanket ban, a blanket ban on driving faster than 20 miles an hour. It's not a blanket ban. Uh, I mean, again, it's like, I don't know, like we can drive 20, 20 miles an hour is the limit in London. And for me, that's great because I normally get around on a bike. It's much, much nicer getting around on a bike than it is when people are driving 20 miles an hour. Perhaps it's different in rural Wales. Don't really care. But I don't really see it as being this sort of huge ideological battle. Like the idea that I'm supposed to be sitting here in North London caring how fast they can drive in Wales. Give me a fucking favour. What? Yes. Well, that just goes to show what kind of person you are, Hugo. Well, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. I suppose it does. Yes. Let's go back to the mad stuff. Right, okay. <laughs> what, Let's have some, back to the mad stuff. Sure, back to the mad, the mad stuff. What else have we got? Well, okay, so Trust being very keen on GB News, right? There's a lot going on with GB News. Did you see, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but did you see Lee Anderson interviewing Suella Braverman on GB News? No, I avoided no. this. No, well, see, there you go. So huge fuss. Is it all right that you have the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party running a news programme on which he interviews the Home Secretary from the Conservative Party, is that all right with Ofcom, right? Huge fuss beforehand with everyone going, well, no, it's not all right, and them going, yes, it is all right, you're against freedom, because we have the freedom to, I mean, what, how is that even a freedom? But you know what I mean? And then, of course, it happened, and everyone, no one mentioned it at all, because it was so very boring. And uh, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten my point here. But, um, no one watches GB News, I think your point might be, well, but, no, but it's the talk of the town. Not a significant proportion of people. In a, and it sort of it sets an agenda in a way that really has no bearing on its, on its actual influence. And so you've got this whole conservative conversation that's based around what plays well on GB News. Then when you actually see it on GB News, it's like, well, this is a, this is a tangential conversation about, about nothing. A bit like the speed limits or the bins or the meat yeah. and all that other stuff. Okay, more, more weird Toriness? Yeah, absolutely. Going back a bit further? The concrete. The concrete was only a few weeks ago. Remember? <gasps> yeah, right. Gillian Keegan and the concrete, right? When schools started falling down and she said everyone was sensationalist for caring about schools falling down. Because it's only children being squashed by concrete, Emily. It's not such a big deal. That was odd. I know Rory Stewart on the on the Restless Politics podcast was talking about how he was educated in porter cabins uh, right. to, to Alistair Campbell's huge incredulity because at Eton, at really? Eton, yes, but a lot wow. of his classes happened at porter, in porter cabins. So there you go. Rory Stewart can be educated in a porter cabin, then so can everybody else. Were these Tudor porter cabins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely had some panelling. 
Wow. Okay. But what, I mean, the weird thing about the concrete thing is that they managed to basically close down every, you know, every school in Britain for a week, and now everyone's just kind of forgotten about it. It's like, have yes. these schools fallen down? Have we fixed these schools? What's that? Is like, so they were going. Well, it might just be a cupboard made of concrete. Why there's a cupboard made of concrete? I don't know. Um, but has is everyone all right? Are there children out there stuck under schools? Does anyone know? Historically, aren't the Tories supposed to be the party of efficiency? Yes. Well, efficiency, freedom. You know all this. Yeah, exactly. But at the um, very least, efficiency. At the very least, efficiency. I wonder if they've just given up on that. Efficiency is a bit woke, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Is, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit sort of... Um... So just just in case people think that we're sort of wildly anti-conservative, is there any mad shit going on in the Labour Party or are they just sort of busy sort of building a manifesto that people will want to vote for? You know, it's a good question. Uh, they're not very mad. I can't think of it. I mean, they're very boring, which I think <laughs> is a strategy. <laughs> which kind of works quite well. I mean, they don't really say enough to be mad as such. I mean, I don't really know what they think about anything. I don't know whether they think we should build HS2 or not build H2. Yes. I don't know whether they think we should have closed schools or not closed schools. I don't really know whether they want meat taxes, but I don't think they do. They haven't said they do. You know, so, I mean, they are very much kind of sort of staying out of the game, I think. Are they sitting there furiously media training Keir Starmer and actually trying to write policy, do you think? I think they probably are furiously trying to write policy so that if and when they win the election they can roll in with a lot of stuff mm. i think starmer's essential boringness sort of plays to his advantage for now because yeah. basically what the tories are crying out for is for labor to come up with the policy that they can attack that they can generate fear on that's how you defeat labor by making people frightened of, of labor and often there is quite a lot to be frightened about labor you know under corbyn there was plenty to be frightened about labor you know not that i think he was a essentially malign individual but he would have been <laughs> all these arguments look very different now at the time he would have been the most disastrous thing imaginable for you know the strength of the pound and british business and all these other things that have fallen apart since then anyway uh, but, but at the time he did sort of pose a threat in that way that you feel perhaps slightly foolish about now um yeah he probably so the, would have cancelled hs2 as well right so there you go hs2 i mean what is that it's like it's only a fucking train yeah you know it's not it's not like we're trying to build a space elevator or an undersea palace it's just other people but other people build trains they do happen we don't seem to. We don't seem Emily to be and careful. I looked at the map of it yesterday. And we were like, I mean, the distances aren't very big. Isn't there already a train from there to there? I mean, the one, the, the, the place that seems to be really getting fucked is Manchester, where they're announcing the HS2 yes. isn't going to go while the Tory conference happens there. That's very yeah, weird. That's pretty special. Did you? Did you see? I mean, the morning we're speaking, Grant Shapps basically confirmed it by mistake. Did you see that? <laughs> No. He was he, he was doing an interview. Well, no, because they haven't said yet. I mean, perhaps as we're speaking, Rishi Sunak will have said it. But um, until now, they haven't actually said they're not going to let it go to Manchester. They've just done the whole kind of, maybe we're not going to let it go to Manchester. We're not going to tell you if it's going to Manchester. Ooh, I'm being coy about whether or not it's going to... And eventually you're like, okay, it's not going to fucking Manchester. But Grant Chaps is the first person to say he was asked... Will the, where he'll go, he goes, look, it'll still be faster to Manchester. It just won't be high speed. And he didn't seem to realise that he was the first person who's actually confirmed that it's not going ahead there. I yeah. was today years old when I worked out that HS stands for high speed. Me too. Oh, really? I was literally thinking that. When you just said that, I was like, oh. What did you think oh, it stood for? Didn't. didn't really? Think, Hugo. Just, just, a, just a name. Just accepted it. Wow. Yeah, I okay. Did too. Annabelle, you're not alone. And I oh, hope thank God. That other listeners are also going, oh, okay. <laughs> Can either of you tell me where HS1 is? Where it is? Where it is? To Paris? Yes. <gasps> Correct. Well done, Em. <laughs> yes, I really indeed. just got that out because I was trying to think of which is the fastest train. 
Yeah, that's the, that's the one. It is it is to Paris. Oh, I mean, Gr- Grant Chaps, Paul Grant Chaps was probably thinking he was transport secretary because yes. until very recently he was he transport has been. secretary. He's had a but, lot of jobs, hasn't he? Well, that's he was, another thing that confuses me is how they move people around and then they're suddenly like Hunt's suddenly an economist and someone else is suddenly, you know, how they're suddenly meant to completely understand the department that they've been wheeled into oversee. A year ago, Grant Chaps was transport secretary. He's now four jobs later, yeah. right? A year, he was home secretary for... Six days, I think. <laughs> six, six days. But that's going to look really bad on your CV, honestly. Like all the jobs. Wow, why were you only? Why were you only in the job for six days? Your employer is going to be like, mm, I'm smelling something bad here, Shaps. Yeah. yeah no, well, I guess. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I, I think the fact that it was under Liz Truss is kind of, sort of the worst bit. But he was both preceded by and succeeded by Suella Braverman. <laughs> yes. He was. He was a Suella Braverman sandwich. Sandwich. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, imagine his sessions with his shrink. It must be absolutely <laughs> eye-wateringly awful. The pain, yeah. the shame. But no, I mean, but look, back on Labour, on Labour, I think their strategy is to sort of very much avoid frightening the horses, avoid doing anything that Conservatives can get their teeth into and go be frightened of this. They, I mean, they reared up last week when they were talking about um, VAT on private schools was the first real Labour policy we've seen in quite a long time where you go, this is the thing that Labour would do that the Conservatives wouldn't do, which they sort yeah. of announced very, very, very carefully, but obviously felt it sort of would it wouldn't scare too many people in that sort of way. It's quite hard to see it's quite hard to see what happens with Labour in um I mean I think they'll they'll take back a lot of the kind of traditional Labour places very easily. I think they'll do really well in Scotland. What I'm confused about is what happens between Labour and the Lib Dems, mm. because there isn't really a difference between Labour and the no. Lib Dems. <laughs> They're so similar that were you to find yourself accidentally stuck on a ski lift with Keir Starmer and Ed Davey, Davey you might not know which one. I think both would be equally boring. <laughs> yes. You know, I think if you, you throw you, yourself off. So well, you'd, I mean, you, you, would, you wouldn't be like, "Thank God, I've got the other one on my other side." You know, it'd be like, "Oh no," um, you know. So it would, it would be, it would be wearying. Um, but uh, so why anybody makes a choice to vote for one of them, not the other one? I can sort of see something that no one's quite talked about yet, but everyone's expecting the Lib Dems to do very well in the sort of home counties, Blue Wall area. And I can see actually Labour doing surprisingly well there, unless the Tories do actually come up with some strategy of making people frightened of them. I mean, maybe people would vote Lib Dem if they can no longer bring themselves to vote Tory, and historically they have, but they can never, ever vote Labour. Yeah, but I'm not sure what that never ever vote Labour thing is now. I think yeah. Keir Starmer's been maybe very... it's just an emotional thing. Yeah, well, it could be, but uh, that makes and no sense, you know. Well, and memories are memories are long and slow, and quite a lot of people will still associate Labour with. Well, quite a lot of people will still associate Labour both with with Tony Blair, I suppose, but they'll yeah. also associate Labour with Jeremy Corbyn, and they yeah. will vaguely perceive a kind of threatening leftism there, I suppose, in some places. But I, I, I'm. Again, I think the the sheer boringness of Keir Starmer has done quite a lot to dispel that. So really, you're you're not sure if this is the maddest time in politics ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely not the maddest time ever. I mean, a year ago was much madder. A year ago, we were we were we were knee deep in Liz Truss. Don't forget. Yeah, it's true. I have, I've you know, obviously I've um, forgotten. And it was I mean, it was just a it was just a blip, but it was happening. You know, I mean, a year ago it was it was <laughs> a year ago it was so mad that, that Rishi Sunak had left politics. <laughs> Remember that? You know. Yes, uh, of course. But I mean, I you know. Uh, there, there are people I can think of I, I shouldn't name but who were sort of floating around trying to get jobs in media because they they decided well they were never going to work in politics again and now they're at the heart of the heart of government 
you know because there was this it was a whole that that and you know the I mean, the pound was crashing and interest rates were soaring yeah. and, and Quasi Quateng was like sort of chancellor for four days before discovering that he wasn't anymore from a tweet. And, you know, I mean, this was it was a really weird time. It's not yeah. like that now. How pessimistic are you feeling? Pessimi- um, about what? About the state of the country. I think this is a pretty low ebb uh, that we're at at the moment, which in a weird sort of way makes me quite optimistic. You know, I think, uh, I mean, I think the next six months... Look, the next six months, a lot of people are going to be losing their homes because they can't afford their mortgages. That's going to be happening an, an awful lot. Uh, and that's all going to look pretty ugly. And I don't see any particular sign from the government that they're prepared for that or on top of it or necessarily even mm. understand that it's happening, which is quite weird. So that's all going to be pretty grim. But I also think what we're living through now, even though we don't quite talk about it in these terms, is entirely a post-COVID backlash, isn't it? That's why inflation's spiking. That's why there's a war on. That's why everything's mad and there's no money. All that kind of stuff. It's all because there were two years where the world shut down for COVID. We're living through that now. So now was never going to be pretty. Even when you were living through COVID, we all knew that when things get better, they will also get worse. We knew that at the time. And that is precisely what's happening now. So I'm actually weirdly optimistic for the future. Almost even if the Tories win again, uh, which I think is pretty unlikely, Weirdly enough, if they win again, their focus will be very, very much on the economics of things rather yeah. than all the sort of culture war nonsense that they like throwing around because that's an election-winning strategy. So pretty yeah. much whatever happens after the next election, I'm relatively optimistic, although coming from a low bar. Yeah. Well, that's great. We never hear optimism. It's pretty. I mean, it's a bit like kind of, you know, once I've lost my leg, I haven't got any more legs to lose. Optimism. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, let's call it optimism. I thought I didn't have any more legs to lose. And then, <laughs> then I discovered what? my second leg. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that fell off too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> Hugo, thank you so much. Always making a pleasure. Us, making us laugh, maybe cry. I mean, you know, panic and hope. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's always delight for you to come on and deliver some delicious perspectives. So, I mean, I sort of say with relative confidence that um, thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. <laughs> I should, I should hope so. Bye guys. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.